I'm holding out. No, I'm I'm gonna hold out. Yeah, <laughs> dude. If we land the tide bleach thing though, that's got that's like millions. Yeah, that's at least true. that's true. At least, and I'll never have to buy bleach again. Which is which nice because I've never done. I yeah. use it constantly. No, I, I would say legitimately like one gallon of bleach would be like a lifetime. <laughs> pretty reasonably for me. So it's like, I don't know what Tide Bleach is honestly thinking. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. First off, I just want to tell all the fans they're welcome because we, we could be watching Stranger Things. Ah, uh, I haven't. I, say. I haven't uh, so much as watched a second of the new season. Is it good? It is good. It is. It's been very intense. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I await my uh, declaration of how it is. How many have you watched? Like, we've watched four. Wow. And it's, it is very intense. Like I'm definitely into it, but it just, I feel like it's at, it's at a kind of a cusp to where it could like, it could still end up being really good or not so good. It just hasn't like sold me on this season is going to be awesome. Didn't I say something like this? I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. No, what if the second season's I, ever as good as the first, right? But I, I'm not saying it's bad, though. I want to be clear. Like, mm-hmm. I've been very entertained yeah. so far. Oh, you have. And I, well, yeah. I don't know if I should do this on the, Chappelle, on the podcast, but I may have to cite the Chappelle show as a counter to that. Because season two. Oh, yeah. oh. Well, that's a different kind of animal. Well, so, yeah. I you mean, know, like I The know Simpsons. Is... I would say The Simpsons definitely got better. Mm. after the first the first season of the simpsons is not the best season of the simpsons but i'd say these serial dramas are like we talked about this before too they're more like movies than like a sitcom or sure or yeah like a a sketch show like Chappelle. those are the kind of things where you get into a rhythm but uh the story i mean that's like i said it's like a 10-hour movie it's a big big story arc that they have to wrap up in the space of 10 hours or 10 hour long episodes so that's tough, to, man, to do it again, to mm. bring up another compelling story with the same exact characters and same. It's basically like a sequel, you know? Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, just before this podcast, I was talking to Jacob Rouse and he said, which I didn't initially understand, but he said, isn't it an incredible thing to um, to be experiencing like a phenomena or something that captivates the whole country at all at the same time. Hmm. And he was talking about Stranger Things and that like everybody everybody has some sort of interest in it. Um, and I, I don't know if it's that like that big of a hit, but it is pretty interesting just to think about how many people have seen season one, how much they've enjoyed it, and we're looking forward to season two. Like, what makes that show so dang good? Well, what That's makes, my question. What makes is, anything what, catch fire like that? Yeah, because he yeah. also mentioned, like, Pokemon Go when that Oh, my hit, gosh, same exact There thing. was, like, hospitals were using it as a tool to, 
like get kids out of their beds and yeah um i mean it was in like every facet of life um within the united states right i was i remember in my town here seeing grown men walking around with their phones out playing pokemon go around like town i, w- I was out for a run and there was this guy whose baby i'd baptized out with his mother-in-law in the front yard this was a couple days after the craze had started and he was one of these guys where it's like i know this is so lame but it's kind of interesting right am i right i'm catching it like pretending that he doesn't know what it's called like yeah i can touch catching this charizard or whatever i don't even know you know but it's kind of kind of rad i guess <laughs> like dude you are so into this you're way into this <laughs> like yeah i stopped my car on the side of the road the other day i caught this i mean it was like a kind of an arena i was kind of battling charizards and what have you like dude you are all the way in both feet into the pokemon world so it's weird how those these crazes catch on i have no idea honestly there's a thing right now with unicorns like i'm finding with my teachers and uh my secretary like they're and i mean it's not just kids it's like grown women are into the idea of unicorns and like the rainbow hair and what have you's I did a I did a wedding this weekend where um this is wow this is Seabisk old man what's up with the youth today <laughs> please tell okay yeah. so the groom and the bride both had the bride had fully blue hair not like jet blue but the whole her whole head of hair had a blue tint to it <laughs> and the guy wow. the guy had blue bangs like really really blue bangs sky blue <laughs> They got married. I love them. They were the coolest kids. They were like 22, 23. I've been preparing them for six months or whatever. I, they're totally responsible, work hard, ready to get married. But I just thought, that's so funny that you are okay with having blue hair in your wedding pictures. I just, I, I mean, it's beyond anything I could imagine. So who knows why these things happen, man? Why people do what they do? I get the Stranger Things thing. I, I mean, that's a kind of a distinct question because you're asking why is what makes that show so good? Uh, why does it hit something? I like the retro feel of it, the '80s thing. That seems to be in right now. Like hmm. reminiscing to those days of more primitive electronics, and don't they use like radios and stuff? And oh yeah, yeah, they have gi- ginormous walkie-talkies. Right. They go to the arcade on the weekends. Yeah, that's like. Uh, their fun activity. Why do you guys? Yeah, like scrounging it? for. Well, I definitely like the nostalgic feel to it. I also didn't live during the '80s, so I think it gives an authentic glimpse into just that time period, like just the fashion, ha- how the whole thing is done. Um, I, 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 part of, and I, I guess I thought about this a little bit. I think part of why. I enjoyed the first one so much because we we rewatched it in preparation for season two, and I started to see that they have a number of characters and like a number of different friendships, relationships, um, a lot of them, and all of them are good. Like there isn't a single like group that they cut to, and I'm disinterested in what they're doing. So like the number of different stories that they have, all working towards the same story. I think is impressively mm. not just harmonized, like they're all working towards the same narrative, but they're all very intriguing. 
um, like each each of the characters, there aren't many throwaway characters on right. that show. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know. I haven't thought about honestly like why I like it uh, too much, but I am intrigued like how they tell the story in general. Like it's definitely an anthology of like it just gives these different like individual episodes to tell the story. I think that's similar to why like I like uh, True Detective. It's told in and not the same fashion at all, but in a similar fashion of like these, like kind of like standalone episodes that are telling like this overall story, and it's just an impressive way of storytelling. I don't know um, how else to say it besides that. So it's just like entertaining and fun. I do love the '80s. Yeah, I was born in '87, so I consider myself a, a child of the '80s. That was a good year. Yeah, real good, good year. year. And uh, yeah, I don't know, but I that is like. It's. I don't want to like overstate this, but in a lot of ways, like the '80s are still just like they were like what was cool when I was growing up. My sister was born in, you know, '82, and so she had like a tremendous like impact on me. So yeah, I guess you do kind of remember some aspects yeah. of it, like listen to '80s music and. Man, are we just having old man talk today? <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> golly. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm too young to be having old man talk, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when maybe that's a question. Like, when, when does old man talk? When, when you, is it real? When are you legit old man enough to? Who knows, man? It's tell us. Time is telescoping. Everything's going so. If people are reminiscing about things that are like five years ago already. Yeah, you know, it used to be you had to wait a, at least a couple decades before you called that thing a decade. I mean, like the decade before the decade we're in. What did you call that? The aughts or something? The O's? The two thousands? I've heard people call it. I don't really oh. think of that as a decade yet, but that was the decade that I was, I graduated high school. I was in college. I entered yeah. the seminary, um, you know, so a lot happened to me and that that's probably my coming of age decade, but I don't really think of that as like the nineties yet. The nineties was a decade. Right. Me, you know, there was things that occurred like Chris Farley died. The bulls won six championships that that's stuff that happened in the nineties, like this catch all basket. Yeah. But I still think of like the 2000s. I still think of particular years. 03, I graduated high school. 06, I graduated college. 08, I went into seminary, stuff like that. <clears throat> so I don't know when you when you can really start reminiscing and thinking about old days. I kind of think it's a little bit of an affectation when people are like, oh, only 90 kids will understand this Oregon Trail reference. or Oh, dude, Oregon Trail, though. Heck yeah. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, man. That's bringing me back. Oh, was yeah. that the, was there a hunting game? It was a computer. Yeah, you could go hunting. Yeah. on it. It was a computer game. Yeah, people would die. It was yeah, it was crazy. And they had that ducks. Yeah, ducks shooter game. Yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, I can't duck hunt. Duck hunt. It was literally duck hunt. Like the original Nintendo had a gun. You yeah. could plug plug into it for duck hunt. Wow. Guess Whoa. You, you guys are young. It's interesting, though. Um, I do think we have a very unique, like, the path to priesthood in, like, whatever we're calling this, like, old manness or generational stuff or whatever. Because uh, I do not think, I mean, seminary's been tremendous. Um, and I don't think it's, like, you know, just some type of school that, like, you know, um, prolongs adolescence or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, it's very interesting that maybe, you know, maybe people in the workforce feel this in different ways, et cetera. But like when your primary vocation is here in the seminary, 
And yeah, I mean, it's six years of just like pretty much constant evaluation and being, you know, watched and, and not like a big brother type way, but you, you are, you know, you're evaluated to, you know, see if you can continue and, and, you know, the church's discernment on the other end. And, you know, I've even thought about next year, like being a baby priest, like you're right back to the bottom of the totem pole, which again is different than like the working world, like when you might have a family or whatever. So I guess the point is, like you said, it caught, it caught my attention when you said like, that was kind of my coming to age hmm. decade. And it was like, yeah, no, I mean, we have come to age. Um, but I think sometimes like the life of like still being in school, being evaluated, et cetera, like you don't feel that like you might if you had a wife and a kid at home. Um, I don't know. That was just the thought yeah. I had when you said that. So say yeah, again. and I mean, go ahead, Mike. What's that? Go ahead. I was going to ask Rob to clarify, but maybe you will. Oh, yeah. uh, oh no, no, no. That that's fine. Yeah. No, that was. I was literally. We were just talking about like the, like, funny things from like decades and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I guess I just realized like more and more, and it's like no, you know, we're adult men as much as it doesn't <laughs> feel like it sometimes. Man. I'm a grown man. I pay yeah. bills. And I pay some bills. Yeah, I, I pay some bills. Yeah, right? <laughs> a few. Um, yeah. I can fix a thing or two. Absolutely. I can fix some scrambled eggs. Yeah, and there is, I mean, I, I don't, uh, similar, I don't, don't want to overstate this as well, but right. like there is uh, definitely a feeling, and I think the campus of Mundelein here actually provides it very well, but you are taken out of the world quite a bit. Um, and I mean, if you ever have a phone or a computer, you're kind of just as much plugged into the world, but, um, you know, there's just not, not a massive focus on, uh, not current events because we, we obviously are up on current events, but it it does feel like a, a bit of a, you know, secluded environment up here, which also does come with like fads and trends and, you know, a lot of the a lot of the main fads that come about, uh, at least in the states, like I do feel like I look at them as an outsider. Like mm-hmm. I'm not always a part of them. Um, where, yeah, I honestly do much more analyzing of it from like an outside bystander than someone who's actually participating in a lot of things that are that are going on. Um, yeah, I I do feel a bit removed at times, um, and not in a bad way. Uh, it's just a different stage in life. And like being in, in the parish over the summer, I, I felt like hyperdrive plugged into everything that was going on and was oftentimes asking questions like, yeah, what do you people mean in the news when they say that? Because hmm. I, I don't even understand the jargon that's going on. Right. Um, and part of that is like my own consumption of news is not daily. So I'm going to miss a lot. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I I do feel a bit removed at times. Um, not in a bad way. It's just yeah, a different way. Th- I think that that's also what I was talking about with the telescoping of time is that everything moves so quickly now. Like things become passe or cliche so fast. You know, that if, you, if you're not keeping up with the trends, so to speak, or the the thought of the day or the news cycle, you can miss it and then you're just not keyed into this way of talking or this way of thinking and um 
you know it's it's kind of weird because this the whole youth culture thing like we were you guys at holy fire or did you go to any of those uh events down at uic pavilion no right no no okay i mean um they were great i i was i brought like 50 kids both days there was a friday and a saturday version um and then they had that young adult thing with Mark Wahlberg on Friday night. This was what last week or two weeks ago? I can't remember. But um, you know, whenever I'm at those things, I always think, uh, or anything like it, where there's a lot of loud music and rap about Jesus, and you know, like things that are kind of in the key of pop culture, but trying to sort of elevate it a little bit and make the message more. But it always feels to me like a little bit, just got a little bit of a limp to it. Like it's not natural because it's conforming um, something higher to something lower. Does that make sense? Like this, there's this sort of nebulous, it's kind of like, you know, how something that was really, really cool 30 years ago, you look at a picture of people wearing clothes that were cool 30 years ago. Maybe now with retro movements, it would be cool again. But for the most part, you look at people with bell bottoms uh, or whatever, and you're like, that is really dorky or huge lapels or whatever, like the 70s, that fashion was really in style. And now it's really, really lame and weird. Well, you can kind of like pop culture is just like that. It's so nebulous and changes so quickly that um, sometimes I feel like it's a good way, it's a good like step or bridge toward people to be like, I can speak in the key of pop culture and I know your reference and I know about Stranger Things and and blah, blah, blah. But um, I guess I'm more comfortable with like speaking on that level about those things, but not trying to use that medium to communicate mm-hmm. the gospel. You know what I mean? Like it's oh, yeah. I'm I'm fine entering a relationship with you on that level of the low, the nebulous, the passing pop culture thing. But when it comes to my culture or or forming you, like I don't want to conform the faith to that. I want to conform you to the faith, which is this higher thing. And it's Yeah, it is. You know what I'm saying? That's it. Yeah, but okay, can you help to maybe to make a distinction because you're not saying don't use the current culture. I'm not saying don't rap about Jesus. I'm not saying that that stuff isn't good and that it wasn't helpful, but I always feel like I would have been the one kid or you know, part of, of the group of kids that felt like I just don't like this music that much or um I would rather kneel and smell incense and chant, right? Even though that's not cool. But it's different, you know, and it's like not just your daily fare or whatever. No, that's yeah. I mean, it's just the basic premise of like the church is called to convert the world, not to con- not to convert to the world. Right. I remember that was. I remember a lunch with Father Barron one time, and he was like, "That's that's why so many people misunderstand the Second Vatican Council. That's mm-hmm. where like so much of that, um, like." Uh, any like the negative stuff that that came out of that time he's like you can almost always point to they read it in the sense that the church needs to convert to the world and he's like that's never like the case in a proper theology the church is called to convert the world so it's not yes it's not that you don't try to speak the language or engage the culture or maybe the deeper question that you're trying to ask is how does three dogs north stay so fresh here we go (laughs) this is what i was really getting at 
Here, yeah. Hey, maybe I can. And can we can we use this? Question. Like, can we use this example as a kind of a universal model on how to stay freshy fresh? Here, the, uh, a clarifying question. Okay. What what is the difference between, um, because there's a there's a relationship between the world and the church that we're talking about. Right. So, what is the difference between, um, um. Let me hold on. I, I have to think of how to properly Take phrase the time. question. Yeah. Um, so we're called to convert the world, right? Not have the church be converted to the world. Right. Well, what's the difference between um, using using the church to elevate culture and um, like the culture talking about the church? Say again, what's the difference between what? What's the difference between using the church to convert the world, like the church, its mission what do you mean to using, save, using to the save souls, and having... Yeah, hey, go back to that, like you said, using the church. Yeah, or the church, mm-hmm. the church converting the world, okay. then um, using cultural language to communicate... To communicate the faith, to communicate okay, the so mission of the church. I think it's a false dichotomy. Of course, everything that we ever say or ever do as church, when we're being church to one another, is obviously going to be cultural, okay? Because we're all cultural animals. Um, that was Cardinal George's whole hobby horse, is that you can't be countercultural because you right. are cultural. You speak a language that you didn't invent. You'd, um, the church is not a parallel culture to the wider culture in general. But although the gospel is always inculturated, so Gregorian chant was part of a culture, you know, um, the basilica was already like a cultural form that existed before Christianity inherited it, you know, all of that stuff. um, And that's people's points, but uh, about like, we, we, you know, here's the vernacular, here's, you know, guitar masses or folk or polka masses. And this is all part of the culture. And we're just appropriating it to spread the gospel. Um, well, fair enough, but uh, I guess there's there's good culture and there's good culture, you know, and there's culture that's more capable of communicating higher truth, and there's culture that's really not. Um, you know, this is kind of uh, sort of the point I was trying to make in this article that I'm sure you guys both never read. Um, that one that was on Word on Fire. Did, did I ever send that to you guys? <laughs> irritating or inscrutable that the thing about you are eucharist to me actually i don't know if you ever sent that i remember you mentioned yeah it. i actually don't think you sent it all right i'll send it to you guys but um that poster that was up at the dominican place yeah. that we went yeah. to yeah yep yeah you are eucharist to me and we always used to make fun of it and and i was thinking about why that's the case and um because it's sort of immature and it's typical of our generation to sort of nitpick and be both super sensitive, but also kind of insensitive to other people's ways of thinking and uh, appreciating beauty. Cause that meant something to somebody when they said it. And, and we kind of took it as this blanket disregard for the real presence. I mean, you compound that with the fact that you see the blessed sacrament out in like a bowl on a coffee table with a candle next to it. And that's their chapel. And it just doesn't seem that respectful. And, but to each is like people, I've met a lot of people of goodwill who 
that is very moving to, you know. Um, and it does draw them into deeper reverence. And they'll surprise you with what they find offensive with the treatment of the Eucharist. You know, so it, like, it doesn't have to be all gold chalices and humeral veils and incense for you to have a deep sense of the sacred. But to our generation, nevertheless, that bubble letter felt banner that says you are Eucharist to me just screams vague, not very Eucharistic, not very uh, sacramental. It's just all about what's really important here is loving your neighbor, not so much this, you know, sacerdotal, priestly, hierarchical thing. You know, do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Does that yes. resonate with what you guys experience? So my point was in the article that this book Leonard Sachs wrote called The Collapse of Parenting. His whole thesis is that in the last generation or two generations, there's been sort of a failure on the part of the generation uh, rearing the, the growing generation. There's been a problem with them enculturating them. And that's the whole thing about the millennials we were joking about like not being able to do things um not know how to change tires not know how to pay bills and you know go to the dry cleaners and stuff like sort of the thing we joke about millennials being these entitled kind of old adolescents um is largely because it's not like they chose to be that way it was that they they didn't have to go through any sort of crucible or testing where they had to learn independence you know Whereas previous generations were enculturated, we, we kind of just got babied into adulthood and now we don't know what to do. But that's happened at every level, educationally, like millennials don't know history as well as their parents or their grandparents' generation. They don't know art, literature, the Bible. They don't know their own religions. You know, they've just, we've just not been enculturated. And, um, and so we... I guess our generation looks at that and it's like, that's too complicated. The message is too complicated. It's too derivative of the, of the direct message, which is the Eucharist is Jesus. That's what our generation needs to hear first and foremost and to understand and then to believe. Um, and so much of what we do in our religion now is all in the article is, is sort of derivative or deconstructive of the tradition rather than Rather than teach kids the Ten Commandments and make them memorize the act of contrition, we have them write their sins on pieces of notebook paper and have them throw them in a bonfire. Again, it's not like that's necessarily negative or doesn't teach a good lesson, but it doesn't equip them to really understand what it means to be Catholic. Um, so that's what, I, that's what I worry about when we, when we do Catholicism in the key of pop culture is that we're conforming so much to what, what is already the youth culture. Rather than enculturating the youth and having them be able to speak the language of Catholicism in all its rich beauty and know the stories of the Bible. And um, this is what I'm trying to do in the youth group is just we just went through the book of Genesis for the last like three months. And I want them to know all the names of the people and the stories, like the basic structure of the book of Genesis so that they are capable of understanding Catholicism instead of just always trying to do things in in ways that they already get or find attractive or attention getting does that make any sense all that crap i just said yeah yeah it does okay well then i i yeah the thing is besides i mean there are bad ways to teach um or maybe we like don't necessarily agree with the pedagogy or the medium that a message is communicated i still i mean like a clear distinction between good enculturation and culture deforming the church. 
Mm-hmm. So like how, how does culture, ele- how does the church elevate culture different than like the culture deforming the message of the church? Where is, where is that line? Mm-hmm. Because like you could say, you can make a claim like Baron, a lot of his videos that, that are so popular and really very effective, he uses something that's culturally relevant and then communicates the message of the gospel through it. So he is actually showing like, no, there's actually some deep truth and some deep beauty that are in these cultural phenomena that people love. And it's for, you know, it's because they have these these deep elements of beauty and truth that people actually love them. And he kind of brings those to the surface. How is that different than using like like this bad form of of um, of teaching the faith using I mean, is it just the church using bad, um, bad fads or bad things? I shouldn't say bad. Just um, I don't know. You said no. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I, this lesser is one, versions. This is one thing I don't want anybody to think is that I think that that conference or that youth rally was not a good thing. Like that's it's perfect use of pop culture and stuff is to this you know and some of that praise and worship music and like teaching kids those those things that are more in the rock and roll key um although they're pretty kind of epic a lot of them um you can tell christian rock from regular rock by how seriously it takes itself but um i think that no it's that's good because it leads them into say like the the end of the culmination of that rally was mass first of all with the cardinal which was awesome but even before that was a holy hour eucharistic adoration with music and with like a renewal of baptismal vows and like an explanation of the sacramental thing, you know, what is the real presence really mean? The fact that Jesus is here and who is Jesus and like brass tacks. That's what I really care about. I don't care if you, if you do it with bells on and with a clown or whatever, like if kids get the, uh, first of all, I'm allergic to corny. I'm allergic to things that are trying to be cool, but aren't actually cool. Um, so long as it's actually cool and actually good music, that's fine. Um, but if it's like dad trying to be cool like the kids, that's what really turns me off is that that's the exact opposite of what, what should have been happening all the time and what should happen from now on, which is the kids should try to be like dad. The dad shouldn't try to be like the kids. Do you get what I'm saying? That to me is the fundamental turn that we have like an obsession with youth and therefore youth culture in America where everything has got to be like boiled down to something a kid can understand rather than trying to elevate our kids, the younger generation to understand what we get. Like we have something to offer. We're going to stop trying to talk like you and start to try to teach you to talk like us. You know you what know, I mean? It's an intro- I, I like it. And maybe I, I feel like I've, yeah, I, I feel like I know what you're saying. Uh, but I thought of like the, my sister is really big on the catechesis of the good shepherd. Mm. And we may have talked about this, which is like not like youth culture, at least how I've heard her talk about it, like for much younger kids, even than like a popular teen culture or anything like that. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a similar idea, I think, in the premise of of it, at least at its core of like, um, no, like really go at like the deep kind of hard, mysterious truths of the faith and let them kind of explore them in their own way on their own time. So it's like this cool pedagogy. And some of the stories of it, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but I haven't been around it firsthand, but some of the stories you hear are just awesome, like absolutely awesome of these kids, um, 
just like wanting to talk about and ask really insightful questions on like the mysteries that go on in the mass or like how Jesus can be God and man at like very young ages, you know, Um, which I don't know. That was just, that was like a little less abstract idea for me than what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like like the kids are capable of actually being assimilated into this higher way of thinking or being. Yeah. Yeah. This this example came to mind, and it's it strays from the parent-child um, example that we're using, but made me think of uh, the Ohalos. As I would say, they're a very good band. I love the Ohalos; they're a lot of fun. The concert that we went to was Woo! actually like a I would say a, a very real experience of God and and of my friends and of just a lot of good things that were going on. I've never connected and. To be fair, I've never really given it too much effort, but um, you know, just like at first, at first sound, I've, I've never really connected or enjoyed much of like Christian rock as a genre. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the Oh Hellos are a band that a- is actually a Christian band, mm-hmm. although I wouldn't put them in the genre of Christian rock. But they they make really good music and they communicate in their own way the Christian message. Um, Back to three dogs north, three dogs north, keeping it fresh. Yeah, we have never listed ourselves as a Catholic podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, am I right? Say more about the oh hellos, though. Yeah, I. That example just came to mind because it's, um, you know, th- both of their ends, Christian rock and the oh hellos, um, is to try and produce music that's good, I guess, but then also try and communicate the Christian message. But I don't know if the Oh Hellos, if they label themselves as a Christian band. No, no, um, they definitely don't. I would yeah. say like what maybe what you're getting at or what I'm hearing you get at is that their music is not Christian. They are Christian and they make good music. Right? That's that's kind of how I feel about all this cultural stuff is that it doesn't really make sense to say that this podcast is Catholic. Um, I get what you're saying when you say that, that it's a Catholic podcast, meaning like the content has to do with the Catholic faith or whatever, but it's people who are Catholic. Um, the church is Catholic. Podcasts aren't Catholic. You know, podcasts are just a way of, of communicating ideas or information or stories or whatever. Um, and from the beginning, I think that we've tried to make a podcast. I've tried to make a podcast that I would like listening to, you know? Uh, and it just so happens that I think that the best podcasts are when people talk about what's most important to them and share their personalities and share their friendship and kind of open it up to the world. Like that's the strength of the internet. But like, imagine if we were just to use this podcast and like formulate these very kind of scripted conversations in order to manipulate belief in other people and to like try to make ourselves sound smart, even though we joke about how that actually is the case when we edit these. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it would just be false. It would be fake and it wouldn't be uh, like authentic art. If you want to call this art. This is so is it a matter of authenticity? I think so. I think like an artist is lame in the measure that he's insincere or she is insincere. Like if you're, if you're not making this because you think it's truly good and it's coming from like a deep center of yourself, um, Rather, you're just making this like political uh, humor or political type like art. I mean, some of that can be art, like political cartoons, I guess. But 
whenever it's uh, whenever art is kind of subordinated to an end, like I think the motto is "Ars gratia artis," art for the sake of art. That's what makes art art. What makes it liberal art that it doesn't have a use. It's not. I'm not making art so that I can do something more important than art. I'm doing art because art is valuable in itself. And that's kind of how I feel, honestly, how I feel about this podcast is like, I actually look forward to doing this and I don't get anything out of it. I don't get money out of it. Sometimes I wish we got more emails or like that it would make me feel better that people actually listen. But honestly, I would do it. And we talked about this at the beginning. Like, would we do this if only like 10 people listened? And I think we came to the conclusion that yes. I think we actually did that. We did mm-hmm. do that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Only yeah. 10 people listened. And most of those that people were us multiply downloading it. <laughs> <laughs> From, uh, yeah, different devices. Yeah. Uh, that did happen. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could, because I totally, I 100% agree. I just don't know why that's the case. Um, mm. And maybe it's not. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is that. Because, you know, when you think about the dad to his child example, I'm going to speak like you so that... Um, I can, I can get you to speak like me eventually. It's like this, yeah, maybe a manipulative form of like convincing someone or getting someone to, to get to an end that, that you're interested in instead of just directly like saying, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to talk like me where you, you kind of take the long way around, like the rap, the rap example. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to, act like I'm cool, like I'm rapping. But what I really want at the end of the day is for you to, to believe this thing that I want you to believe where the Oh hellos are making good music for the sake of good music. And it is just so happened that it's informed by the Christian faith. Um, I don't know. I mean, there, there does seem to be something with the authenticity piece there. Um, and you can kind of sense some some sort of manipulation when people are doing that. And I, I find myself doing it as well in conversations, whether or not this is kind of a tangent, but whether or not I'm doing it consciously or subconsciously, if I'm trying to convince someone of the faith and that's like the end that I'm working towards, then yeah, it does limit the freedom that I have within the conversation mm-hmm. because I'm I'm driving the conversation towards this end that I'm working towards. Right. Um, instead of, yeah, like actually just being you know, uh, just being myself in the conversation and allowing it to flow where both of us want it to. I'm like, I'm constantly working this thing. Um, yeah. The art of conversation towards this end that, yeah, I want you to believe what I believe, which is a, is a good thing, but it, uh, I don't know. It colors the experience of it. It colors, it colors the essence of the conversation. It stops being a conversation. Yeah. Something else. Yeah, and that's all very abstract, but it's just, yeah. I mean, because I do want to use culture. I want to use culture to communicate the absolutely, faith. Absolutely, absolutely. But that's like c- you said, like I, I don't want to deform the faith to to just make it accessible. Um, yeah, to make it so bland that it's no longer the faith, or it misses the deeper message of what's what's actually supposed to be communicated. Um, yeah, and part of the frustration is like I want to be able to do that in preaching, but where does that line sit? Where does that line sit between, um, yeah, making it palatable? I don't know. I, I mean, it's kind of. I think in a lot of ways we're talking about the phrase like "meet the people where they're at." What what is what does that actually mean, and what's the best way to do that? Um, well, I'll give you a good example, uh, and you guys probably have to get going pretty soon. But like, 
I played guitar at our fest and I played some American rock and roll as I'm wont to do on the, on the guitar. Well then people, I'm always, I'm always reluctant to do that for a number of reasons. One is that you're either, like, if you're good, you're a show off. If you're bad, then you are just, you're the only reason you're up there is because you're the priest. And so I kind of feel like it's a no win, but it's also, I mean, it, it's a win in the sense of like people see you as a human being and they, they like that. And, um, but then you you invariably get the why don't you play guitar at mass or something you know like in church wouldn't that be and first of all it's like hey I don't see at what point does the priest like bust out the guitar like during the homily or something <laughs> it's like it would be the most awkward dumb thing to do as a priest uh, to bust out the acoustic guitar and be like all right now I'm gonna riff a little bit and because it's not, the mass is not the place for that you know what I mean so I mean it's it it makes obvious intuitive sense that uh, there's a time and a place for everything. And obviously we're going to be part of the culture. Obviously we're going to be out there bringing uh, our Catholic selves, so to speak, just like we bring our Catholic selves to this podcast, which is not religious particularly. Um, it's about it us. Gold. It's about it us, you know, and we are Catholic. So anyways, maybe, you know, we've had a lot of fun rapping tonight, kids, but... The most important wrapping is the wrapping with which the Blessed Mother wraps her mantle around us. That's the real wrapping that I'm trying to tell you kids about tonight. I did not see that coming. <laughs> that kind of thing is what I I get hives about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in some way I know, I mean, I do. I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And I wish I knew what you were talking about. I wish I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> this is, well, here we are up this creek again. That, yeah. That is, yeah, that's our story. <laughs> I wish I knew what you were talking about. I wish I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Dude, but honestly, at the same time, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wish I knew more about Augustine, but I'm, you know, it, it sounds a lot like but the city of God, you know, where he, he's just, well... Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about that, but I don't know. I I wish that we could communicate the faith well. Um and in its fullness and have it be received by people. Uh yeah. Wow. You know, at least as seminarians like well, and part of it this weekend I preached a bomb homily. Not oh, that yeah. it was great. I I bombed <laughs> the homily. Really meaning it was bad? Oh. Yeah. It was just nice too distinction there. That's yeah. what made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just it was too much. It was like all over the place and I um I didn't refine what I was trying to say. Mm. So then I just got up there and said everything and <laughs> tried to use a lot of different things to talk about how important the love of God and love of neighbor is. Yeah. Um and one of my big one of my uh, big desires is um to not be abstract because we, I mean, we speak in a lot of ab- abstractions here in the seminary and they're good. It's important. I think being able to understand abstract concepts is real. Ideas are real. Um, but if I just get up there and talk about these ideas all the time with no concrete basis in people's lives, which I think you could say that's culture, that's where culture comes into it. Uh, it's, it's not going to mean jack squat, but if I only like, if I deteriorate the message to where it's just some, cultural rambling that talks about God as like an outlying figure to it. Uh, I've missed the point as well. Like I haven't done either of those things. So 
yeah, I want, I mean, part of it is I want to get better at it. I want to know the answers so that I can do a better job. Sounds like you needed Father Gus's uh, advice on that one. Which is? Do you remember, Rob, what was it, what did he say? Oh, he said just jot down, like, your ideas, pick one of them, and then if it's of God, uh, just take number two in three years when the reading comes up again. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, just wait three years and give that next homily the next time. It's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, I know that feeling too, Mike. Yep. It's like, wow, I just said way too many things. I should have yeah. picked one. It was bad. <laughs> the people of God are good. Yeah, they are good. Yeah, and thanks be to God for that. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.